Amen. God is the potter. We are the clay. We are totally within the mercy of God's hand. Uh, God has all power, able to do any and everything, and it's at his discretion that he forms us as a potter forms uh, the clay. So what a wonderful uh, representation of our relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. So earlier uh, this week, I was uh, driving home in our car, listening to the sports radio station, uh, listening uh, to the Common Man and T-Bone show. And let me tell you guys, these guys are buffoons, uh, but I find uh, myself uh, listening to them semi-frequently. Does anybody listen to uh, the Common Man and the T-Bone show? Uh, Yeah, I'm with you, Russ. Unfortunately, uh, I do as well. Uh, But during uh, their show, uh, they asked the question, would you rather be, I I like uh, would you rather be questions, would you rather be the best athlete at a particular sport or the lead actor or actress in your favorite show or movie? Let let me ask that uh, question by a show of hands. Would you rather be the best athlete at a particular sport? Raise your hand. Handful of you guys. If you'd rather be the lead actor or actress in a movie, raise your hand. So it looks like an athlete uh, outperformed uh, the actor there. And that got me thinking. I, I was thinking, yeah, I think I, would, I, I enjoy watching and playing uh, the game of uh, basketball. And, and that got me thinking, that'd be pretty cool to be the best basketball player in the world, to be better uh, than Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem, Abdul-Jabbar, whoever you think is the greatest, to be greater uh, than him. Uh, that would be uh, pretty cool. And it got me thinking about uh, how much money uh, you can make uh, being the best basketball player in the world. And in that moment, I envisioned myself while I was driving, daydreaming, a scary thing, uh, daydreaming, playing basketball for uh, 10 years or so, and being the Tim Tebow of the NBA, you know, the the public professor of the Christian faith in the NBA. And I could retire from the NBA after 10 years and be a pastor for uh, the rest of my life at no charge. And on top of that, I could donate so much money to the church of God. And in thinking about the money I could make, they were not really, they they were not selfish thoughts. I wasn't thinking about the mansion that I could buy or the cool car that I could buy, but I was thinking about, man, I could be a pastor the rest of my life free of charge and I could give so much money to the church of God and the church of God could do so much good with all of that money. And so the question then is, why wouldn't God make me the best basketball player in the world? I could do so much good with all that talent, uh, that, that fame, and being the, the Tim Tebow of the NBA and publicly professing the Christian faith. And on top of that, uh, I would have millions of dollars. And why wouldn't God grant me millions of dollars considering I could do so much good with it. Well, unfortunately, I don't have that answer. I don't know why God didn't make me the best basketball player in the world or a millionaire, uh, but that's not what God has in store for me. It's not in God's plan, at least in the meantime, I'll say in the meantime, uh, for me to be uh, the best basketball player in the world or uh, make millions of dollars uh, for the church of God. Instead, God has something special and unique planned just for me. And looking at you all, I don't think God has plans to make any of you guys uh, the best basketball player in the world to make millions off of your basketball career. Um, But at the same time, I think God has something specially planned that is unique to you. He has something in store for you other than being the best basketball player in the world. Uh, Pastor uh, Patrick Morley states, God wants you to make all the money you need 
to do everything that God wants you to do. I'll repeat that again. God wants you to make all the money you need to do everything that God wants you to do. I, I, I love uh, that statement. I, I think that, that is absolutely uh, correct, that, that God wants us uh, to make the money that it's necessary to do the things that God wants us to do. That's right. I, I think God wants most of us to make money. And, and that's our focus uh, for today as we continue our series on being a good steward of God's money. We're, we're breaking uh, down this discussion of money into four parts here. Last week, we talked about how we feel about money. Today, we're talking about how we earn money. Next week, we'll be talking about how we spend money. And the fourth week, we'll be talking about how we give away money. And so last week, as we, as we talked about uh, how we feel about money, we, we, we understand that the proper feelings towards money, we, first of all, we had to understand it all belongs to God. Any money sitting in your bank account, any money in your piggy bank, that all ultimately belongs to God. It's everything here on earth belongs to God. Number two, we cannot love money. You cannot love money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Number three, we cannot put our trust in money. In just an instant, all that money sitting in your bank account, all that money sitting in your piggy bank, that can all be wiped away. And so how foolish it is to put our hope and and trust in the uncertainties of riches. And number four, we, we cannot serve money. Again, this is not a command of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, thou shalt not serve money. Jesus says, it's impossible. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. That is 100% impossible. I love that. I love the fact, not a command, but but it's it's a fact of life. Cannot serve God and you cannot serve money. And so as we we talk about today uh, how to earn money, we, we must keep these feelings of money at the forefront of our mind. That, that sort of sets uh, the, the frame of our discussion today and how we make money. As it all belongs to God, don't love money, don't trust money, and we cannot serve money. And we, we cannot overemphasize this. As this is not uh, the prosperity uh, gospel uh, that we are preaching here uh, this morning. I'm not saying God wants you uh, to be rich, but that God wants you to make all the money you need to do everything that God wants you to do. So the question then is, how do we earn Money. How do we earn money? Well, well, it's through work. It's through our work that, that most of us make our money. And we could trace this idea of work to the very beginning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. As God, he created uh, the heavens and the earth, and uh, God made the man Adam. And now, uh, where did God place Adam? God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden. And now, why in the world would God place Adam in the Garden of Eden? What, what was he thinking and doing this? And fortunately for us, God answers that exact question. In chapter 2, verse 15, that's the only verse we'll be reading here from chapter 2. It reads, the Lord Yahweh God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? Well, to, to work it and keep it. So God placed Adam, God made man. He formed him from the dust of the ground and he breathed life into Adam. What what a marvelous uh, picture that is. But God placed him in the garden to work the ground and to maintain the garden. That was one of the purposes of mankind from the very beginning, to have dominion over uh, the animals, of the, the sea, the land, and the air, and to work the ground. Adam was created to work. 
He was created in the image of God, the image of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And the good news that we have today is you were created in that same image. And so you and I, we were created to work. I think that's one of our purposes in life is to work. And for the most part, that's what uh, mankind has been doing from the very beginning. We, we have been working the ground. We've been working with our hands, our, our feet. We've been working with our minds. We've been created to work. You know, the same idea uh, of working was carried over to the law of Moses as well. In the midst uh, of the Ten Commandments, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were going through our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Her. We talked about the Sabbath and how on the seventh day, it was a command that the Israelites needed to stop, they needed to cease, and they needed to have a holy rest. They need to focus on God in the Sabbath rest on the seventh day. But Exodus chapter 20 verse 9 says what we're to do with those six other days. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And so it was a command for the Israelites in the law of Moses that they were to work for six days of the week. And then it was on that seventh day where they were to stop and rest on the seventh day. But the Israelites, they, they were not to sit and be idle all week, all week long. They were to be hard at work. It, it was a command of God given to the Israelites. So not only we were created to work, but now we see that the Israelites, they were commanded to work. They were commanded to work six days of the week. And work is a principle, and let me, uh, when we talk about work, work does not equal job. Uh, you can very much work and, and not have a job. You can very much uh, work uh, five days a week at a job, and then you can go work at your house that sixth day of the week. So that common misconception, work does not equal job. Well, we're not talking about necessarily having a job uh, this morning. We were talking about this principle of work. Now, with that said, work is a principle today that often does lead us to earning money. As many of us uh, may hold a job, maybe Monday through Friday, maybe we work uh, around 40 hours, 20 hours, whatever it may be. Maybe, uh, you were, maybe you're over busy working 60, 80 hours a week. I don't know. Uh, but, but some of us, we hold the job and, and the work that we do at this job, it earns us some money. And Solomon uh, kind of echoes this in Proverbs chapter 14, uh, verse 23. Uh, he, he states, in all toil, there's profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In some translations, uh, there read labor instead of toil. And in all labor and all toil, there is profit. But mere talk tends only to profit. And so that the work that we do, we, we often do see that, that it leads to profit. But when all, when all we do is sit around and, and chit-chat all day long, uh, that leads us uh, straight to poverty, according uh, to the wise words of King Solomon. And so we see, just in the study, just real quick, uh, not really studying the context or anything, but in Genesis and Exodus and Proverbs, throughout the Old Testament, we see that this idea of work, we were created to work, we were commanded to work, and the wise King Solomon uh, states that, that oftentimes our work, our labor, our toil, it leads to profit, it leads to earning money, but mere talk only uh, tends to poverty. And so to me, as we study the Old Testament scriptures, to me, it's very clear that work was a very, very important role of mankind from the very beginning and throughout the rest of the Old Testament as well. And if you are a good scholar of your Bible, you'll know that a lot of things change from the Old to the New Testament. 
You know, Jesus, he, he kind of radicalized this faith. Where previously in the law of Moses, it was, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If someone takes out your eye, you go and take out their eye. You know why? Because that's a lot better than someone taking out your eye and you taking out their life. That, that's the barbaric world that the Israelites lived in. It was a very good law that the Israelites had. Uh, in the uh, law of Moses, it, it was uh, considered uh, adultery to go and sleep with the person who was not your spouse. Well, now Jesus says that not only is it uh, committing adultery to sleep with, with someone else who isn't your spouse, but now it's, you're committing adultery even if you just lust after someone who was not your spouse. And in the Old Testament, we see it was standard for the people of God to partake in animal sacrifices, but then Jesus comes along and, and he's the sacrifice once and for all. He, he is that Passover lamb where God will pass over our sins and we, we, we can be made washed white as snow. And so we see a lot of things, the Old Testament, the foundation for the New Testament. But when Jesus comes on scene, he radicalizes the, the, this Jewish faith as he is the fulfillment of the Messiah that they have been looking forward to for thousands of years. And so my question then is, does this principle of work, does it stand the test of time throughout the new covenant era as well? The, the era that we live in today, the era of the church. Is work still something that should be very, very important to each and every one of us? And fortunately, our good uh, pal Paul uh, makes this abundantly clear in the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be spending the bulk of our time in 2 Th Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 6 through 12 this morning. Here Paul is writing uh, to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, he previously uh, wrote uh, one letter uh, to the church, uh, that's 1 Thessalonians, and then some later time he wrote the second letter to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, this is the church that would be uh, located uh, in modern-day Greece, the northern part of modern-day Greece. So here Paul, he's writing uh, to this church, and in verse 6 of chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So here, Paul, he's writing uh, to this church, and he says, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus here, he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he has the authority of Jesus behind him. And there's a slide there. Uh, and uh, Jesus, or Paul says, in this authority of Jesus, that he commands you guys to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. That is a command. If you see a, a brother of yours just sitting around all day long, seven days a week, walking in idleness, we are to stay away from him. That, that is a command from Paul, who had the authority of Christ behind him. And now we, we should remember, we, we, should, we should consider that this is for our Christian uh, brothers and sisters. Paul says, uh, you keep away from any brother who was walking in idleness. This, this, this is in the context of the church. And so if you see any brother or sister in the church who is walking in idleness, then, then we are to stay away from them. We, we are to withdraw from them. 
as we are to, and when we are part of the church, a body of believers, we are to hold one another to a high standard, the standard that God made us for. And we see in the very beginning, God placed mankind, he placed uh, Adam in the garden to work the ground. God made man, one of the purposes of man is to work the earth. And we, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to hold each other to that standard. And if we see a Christian who is not fulfilling one of the purposes of mankind from the beginning, and Paul says here that we are to withdraw from them. Just like many other uh, circumstances, we don't quite hold uh, the same standard to those who are not Christian, those who have not been enlightened by uh, the word of God. But this absolutely applies to our Christian brethren. And Paul here, he says, now we command you, brothers. Paul here, he, he uh, visited Thessalonica uh, with his uh, companions, Silas and Timothy. And so together, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they tell these brothers and sisters at Thessalonica that we command you, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. You know, we, uh, in the 21st century, we can ha- kind of have a lax uh, view and attitude towards the seriousness of following uh, the word of God, but they didn't mess around with it uh, back then. They say, hey, if you see someone who's walking in idleness, withdraw from them. And we, we don't see that uh, take place too often in our day and age. The Paul here, he continues in verse 7. And he says, for you yourselves, the, 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 this church in Thessalonica, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So again, Paul previously spent some time at the church in Thessalonica with uh, Silas and Timothy. And uh, when he was there, evidently, Paul did not just sit around idle uh, throughout the week. No, Paul, he was working. And if you notice, it says they were working both day and night. The apostle Paul, he was very much a hard worker. And Paul, he he was working both day and night. And on top of that, when when Paul and his companions went to this uh, church at Thessalonica and fellowship with these brothers and sisters, they didn't eat anyone's food without paying for it. Now, he could have eaten for free, but he didn't want to be burdensome uh, to them. Part of why uh, he wouldn't accept their food without pay is he wanted to set an example for them. As other times, we see other times in the ministry of Paul, Paul did accept food. Paul did accept gifts from from, uh, the the Christian brethren. But here, uh, Paul, he he did not accept. He did not accept their their free food because he wanted to set an example for them. It was complete within his right, though. But he wanted to set an example for his people as uh, the the, the city Thessalonica, located uh, in the northern part of modern-day Greece. Well, well, Greeks uh, in that day and age, they abhorred manual labor. They they hated manual labor, getting their hands and feet dirty and, and the work that the slaves should be doing. You know, the Greeks, they, they were very high on philosophy and, and high thinking, and they didn't want to waste, waste their time doing the manual labor. They, they wanted to come and come up with all of uh, these uh, different philosophies. And so they hated uh, manual labor. But Paul, he did not see his work as a distraction from his ministry, Instead, Paul working both day and night, that was part of his ministry. 
He was setting an example for these people at Thessalonica. Paul was trying to show them that working and providing for yourself is a good thing. It's something that we should strive for. And that's why I think Paul, he did not accept their free food. He wanted to put on this example, this illustration that working and providing for yourself, they are very good things that we should strive for. So then Paul says in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Man, that is some strong language. If anyone is not willing to work, then let him not eat. Paul borrows uh, this statement from the Jewish writing. Uh, I might butcher this pronunciation. Uh, Bereshith Rabbah. Uh, there, there was uh, an ancient Jewish writing that, that apparently had, had a very similar line of thought here that if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. As we have a necessity to eat, uh, a handful of us, uh, we partook of uh, the day of fasting um, whether this past week or last week, I don't remember. Uh, but it was a day of fasting, and by the end of that day, uh, I was hungry. I was ready to eat. I, I need food to live and to sustain myself. Well, Paul says, uh, on top of this necessity to eat, we have this necessity to work for our food. And if anyone is not willing to work, then let him not eat, as there's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone has to provide that food. And we are to be willing to, to provide the food through the work that we partake in. And so Paul continues, verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. And so here we, we see, uh, you know, sort of uh, the motivation as to why Paul is talking about this topic of work. Because apparently, rumor had it that there are people at the church of Thessalonica who were walking in idleness. They were not busy at work, but they were busybodies. That doesn't mean that, that they were busy all the time, working all the time. No, a busybody is someone who meddles in, in, in the affairs of others. They involve themselves in, in the, the choices, the affairs that other people are making. Why? Because they're, they don't have anything better to do with their time because they're not engaging in this idea of work. And Paul says uh, in his first letter uh, to uh, the saints at Thessalonica, he says, to mind your own affairs and work with your hands. Now, Paul had his audience very much in mind. It was very specific for this church at Thessalonica that he heard that there were people just sitting around all day long. They weren't working, and instead of working, they were involving themselves in the affairs of others. And Paul, he saw this as a danger for the Christian brothers and sisters. You know, many uh, modern-day uh, church books allude to the same point as well. Oftentimes, uh, people who are not involved in the work of the church are the busybodies, the people who are involving themselves in the affairs of others, involving themselves in decisions being made. They're the ones griping and complaining about X, Y, and Z. And Paul says, we need to work, and we need to mind our own affairs, and we need to be willing to provide for ourselves. And so last verse we'll read here uh, this morning, verse 12, Paul says, now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ 
to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so Paul identifies that there, there are these busybodies who are engaging in the affairs of others that are not busy working. And Paul says of such uh, people, we command and encourage again in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's using this authority that he's been given from Jesus and he commands them to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul commands them to make money, essentially, is what Paul is commanding them here. And in this short passage here, in these seven verses that we see, Paul gives them three commands. The first command that Paul gave them is they are to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Paul then commands, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then finally, uh, Paul commands in the name of Jesus, do your work quietly and make your own living. And so to me, we see that the New Testament echoes the importance of work that was laid out throughout the Old Testament and making a living. It echoes it, and it may even bring it to a further level here as much of the New Testament does. And so God, he, he wants all of us to work. And again, work does not equal job. Uh, God does not want all of us uh, to have a paying job, I'm sure of that. But God wants all of us to work. And that may look drastically different from one person to another. Maybe God really blessed you uh, with hands that are crafty. Maybe, maybe he, he made you uh, and blessed you with the gifts uh, of building. Maybe he blessed you with the gift of creativity. Maybe uh, God blessed you with, with a brilliant mind uh, to work your mind to, to uh, make a living for yourself. It can look drastically different for everybody, but I think God wants us all to engage in this principle of work. This principle that was founded from the very beginning as God placed Adam in the garden to work the garden and maintain the garden. And then the Israelites were commanded for six days of the week, they were to engage in this principle of work. And then here we see this echoed in the New Testament as well, where Paul goes so far as to command them and the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so for many of us, our work does directly lead to earning money. And money is not a bad thing. On the contrary, money is not a good thing. Money is a very, very powerful tool that can be used for much good, and it can also be used for a lot of bad. And we need to ensure that we are using this very, very powerful tool to advance God's kingdom here on earth. And for a lot of us, God may be leading us to use this powerful tool of money to further his work here on earth. And so that means for a lot of us, we have got to earn that living. We've got to learn to provide for ourselves through work and make uh, that money. As again, to echo uh, the words of past Pastor Patrick Morley again, God wants you to make all the money you need to do everything that God wants you to do. And so for many of us, I think God wants us to have wealth. 
And when I say wealth, I don't mean that in the sense of being rich. Uh, in more biblical terms, wealth, talking about having something rather than nothing. I think God wants us, uh, many of us here, to, to have some money on hand. Um, as we can use, again, this powerful tool to further God's kingdom here on earth. As these people, these saints at Thessalonica, they were commanded to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So as a Christian, we do not have to feel guilty for making money. This is a, a command of Paul. The money you make can be a very powerful tool to advance God's kingdom here on earth. But now, as we make money, as we earn money in our day-to-day -day lives, we must remember our proper feelings towards money. i repeat this again. The, the money that we earn, it all belongs to God. The money that we earn, that, that we work for, we cannot love that money. That is such a dangerous, dangerous temptation. When you love that money, it leads to all kinds of evil. And the money that we earn, we, we cannot put our trust in that money. That money can be gone in the snap of fingers. And the money that, that we earn, we, we shall not serve that money. Instead of money being the end goal, you know, and, and the world, the culture that we live today, Western civilization, the end goal is money. People work so that they have money. And instead, for us Christians, we work to get money so that we can glorify God with this powerful tool that he has blessed us with. And so instead of serving money, we can serve and glorify God with the money that we earn. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the many ways in which you have blessed us. Father, I just pray that uh, we use this powerful tool of money that you have enabled us to earn, that we use it for your good for your coming kingdom. And Father, it's my earnest prayer that you lead us from the temptation to put our love, to put our trust, and to serve money. Father, you know that leads to all kinds of evil. I just pray that you lead us from that dangerous, dangerous temptation, that ultimately we keep our eyes focused on you, on your son, on your coming kingdom. Father, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.